How do I price an asset during COVID? That's a major question the industry has been facing during the pandemic, and we'll be exploring the topic on this edition of Spotlight. I'm Evelyn Lee with PERE. The COVID-19 crisis has created an unprecedented level of uncertainty in the private real estate market. This has made it very difficult for the industry's valuation management firms and appraisers to do their jobs. Everything just requires more research right now. Everything is a little bit more difficult to value than it was six months ago. That's John Kellstrom, head of the valuation practice at financial risk management firm Chatham Financial. In very simple terms, the real estate valuation process is based on both cash flow and pricing. The main challenge during COVID has been getting data on the latter. After all, global commercial real estate transaction volumes plummeted 57% year-on-year to $109 billion during the second quarter, the lowest quarterly total since 2010, according to broker CBRE. Cash flow has certainly been the easier of the two because there's been some good data about, like you said, rent collections. In many cases, the leases are fixed. You know what the cash flow is going to be. And some of the cash flow assumptions that go into evaluation, there's been a little bit more, I guess, agreement on where those should be right now after COVID, but pricing has been tough because in a recession, when there are very few transactions, it forces valuers really to spend more time reaching out to market participants to understand the economic impact of the recession on property values. Of course, that is often easier said than done. The reality is that especially after a market shift, many market participants themselves just don't know outside of understanding that there is now probably a wide gap between buyer and seller expectations. But again, a good valuer is going to spend time understanding and articulating those expectations and making a a reasonable conclusion. So when we think about the impact of COVID-19 on valuing assets, I think it's just that there's a little bit more subjectivity. There's hopefully a lot more research going into it, a lot more anecdotal commentary and support being used for those uh, pricing conclusions especially. In the absence of transaction data during COVID, valuers have had to get more creative to gain additional market insight. Richard Calvota, head of the advisory practice at Altus Group, likes to call these more creative tactics alternative research. On the sales side, one of the things we've done is what we like to call refried sales. So since there aren't any new transactions occurring in the marketplace, what we've done is gone back to investors, whether it's in the buyers or sellers in a transaction that's occurred in the last six months or in the last 12 months, and we, we dust that off, go back to the, you know, the market participants, the buyer, the seller in that transaction, and we talk with them and say, okay, given you know this asset well, you bought it or you sold it, given all things the same with that asset, how would you view it differently in today's time frame? In, you know, in, in COVID-19 world. And we'll go through and would they change any lease-up assumptions? Would they change market rent assumptions? In addition to refried sales, Kavoda's team has also done virtual walkthroughs of properties with property managers or leasing brokers via FaceTime. Now the physical inspections have become more difficult during the pandemic. Altus Group has also developed what Calvota calls the Pavlovian survey. One of the things we actually have come up with a few months ago in the middle of COVID was what we call the market reflections poll. And it's just a simple one question survey, one question poll that we send out to hundreds of market participants. And if they reply back to that one question, they then see the results from the prior question and from the prior response. And so when we can customize that, we do one to two every week and we can customize that. So if there's something that pops up 
in the market, some question on some assumption, some particular sector, some market, like office has been a big question mark as to what's going to be the demand for office once we get through COVID. And so we had a series of questions that went out specifically targeted to office. And that provided a lot of information, not only for ourselves, but then to everyone who participates in that poll. And then we also provide that information to our clients as well and helping with the valuation process. So what are the main takeaways from second quarter valuation numbers? Kavoda says that most property sectors have seen write-downs, with the exception of industrial, where some transactions have occurred at prices above pre-COVID levels. But how much of a write-down are we talking about? In general, it's low single-digit declines in values, with the exception being hospitality and retail, which are in excess of 5% declines and, and can go much higher. Kelstrom, meanwhile, says the range of values for any given real estate investment has become much broader during the pandemic. For any given real estate investment at any given time, there's probably a range of value that are supportable for that investment. In an active market, that range can be pretty tight. There can be some coalescence or agreement on where pricing should be for real estate. Market participants understand what assumptions are typically being made and typically understand what it takes to buy and sell a real estate investment. But in an environment like this, and, uh, and, and this certainly applies in the second quarter, we're in an inactive market. And so there's this wide range of reasonableness, I call it, for valuation conclusions. To illustrate that range, Kalstrom shares some findings based on data that Chatham Financial collected on 2,500 unique properties during the second quarter. In fourth quarter 2019, so before COVID, the standard deviation of the change in value from the prior quarter and I'm going to exclude retail for this, and I'll get into that in a second. The mm-hmm. standard deviation was 2.8%. So that means that two-thirds of all changes in property value fell within plus or minus 2.8% of the mean. In first quarter, that standard deviation jumped to 3.8%, which may not seem like a huge jump, but if we consider that the average property value in this data is about $100 million, that's an additional plus or minus $10 million on any single asset. And if you're invested in a commingled fund that might be made up of 40, 50 assets plus, uh, that can add up really quickly. Kalstrom says the standard deviation came down to 3.5% in Q2, but remains much wider than it was pre-COVID. He expects that range to remain wide until transactions start picking up again. Oh, and coming back to his comment on retail. Retail actually had a lower standard deviation in Q2 in comparison to Q4, which is really interesting. And I think it's because there's actually now more alignment directionally on where retail should be, should be valued. Leading up to the, the crisis, uh, retail was already uh, starting to decline in value, but there wasn't a lot of clear alignment on when it was appropriate to mark retail assets down. And that alignment, I think, is, you know, directionally is, is now uh, much more aligned. Valuing assets when there's so little clarity in the market is far from easy, but some firms are digging deeper to find answers. If you want to learn more about the challenges of valuing assets and measuring performance during the pandemic, be sure to check out our cover story, the COVID-19 reporting challenge in the September issue of PERE. That's all for today. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts or at PEI's various titles online. For PERE, I'm Evelyn Lee. Thanks for listening.